Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. First, uh, we are a church that believes in Jesus, we follow after Jesus, and uh, we read the Bible, we believe that Jesus becomes alive in us, and sometimes we read the Bible and some stuff um, is ingesting, it's kind of like feeling like eating vegetables, like why did I eat that, right? And you're like, that was gross, it was whatever, but your mom says, eat your vegetables. And uh, so we believe that as we do that, sometimes there's really good and tasty and it feels like a big fat steak, unless you're a vegetarian, then it feels like a tofu rice patty noodle concoction. Uh, and then other times it feels like, uh, I don't know if that did me much good. But here's the thing about when you eat things that your mother tells you to eat that maybe don't taste so good, is that they do your body good even when you don't see it, right? And they show up in different places in different ways, like when you need energy or when you need, you know, fiber, amen? Anybody? Uh, it shows up in different places even though it doesn't taste so good. And... Uh, the same is true of the Word of God. Like, sometimes when you're studying the Word of God, it, it's like light bulb, and you're like, wow, that feels so good, I love that. And other times you read it, and you're like, I don't know about that. But it shows up in your life when you least expect it, and it becomes fruitful inside of you. So we preach through books of the Bible for that reason, and uh, that helps us not just kind of skip around from one thing to the next and whatever feels good or, or tastes good. It, it helps us to really dig in. So we're going through the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is written by Paul. It is a letter to a, a church, a, to the church at Rome, and they were Romans, and uh, he begins to speak to them about the gospel. This, this letter is so uh, intensive that most uh, denominations and, and movements in, across history have, have derived their idea of salvation, which is soteriology, from this particular book. It's the reason why Martin Luther left the Catholic Church. He began to read Romans, and he left. He separated because of what he read in this book. It's, it's great movements happen when you begin to understand why and how God saves you. Now, here's the thing. Paul also, in his other letters, says that salvation is a mystery. It's crazy that he would say, you know, like, we, we tell children, like, just pray this little prayer. Jesus, come into my heart, you know, forgive me of my sin, and then you're saved. But it's so much bigger and greater than that. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure it out. And Paul says that it's a great mystery, but the mystery has been revealed to his people. He's revealing it to us. And so in this letter, a lot of the things in this letter, not necessarily today, but it's going to feel like flipping and flopping. He's, he's stewing it over. Have you ever tried to explain something and you just go back and forth and back and forth and be like, you know what I'm trying to say? Sometimes it's almost as if Paul is doing that thing, but he's headed towards a certain place where he can drop in your heart the truth of salvation. So Romans is about 11 chapters of straight doctrine explaining the doctrine of salvation. And then it's about five chapters of just basic application that happens to change your life in great ways. It's encouragement, and I know it's going to do great things. And so Paul wrote this about 25 years after Jesus. It is towards the end of his missionary journey. He has a lot of experience. He's worked with churches. He's, he's worked with uh, individuals. He's, he's gotten people saved. He's, working with, he's worked with mega churches. The church at Ephesus was, was tens of thousands of people big. Um, and so he begins to write to Romans. He's always wanted to go to Rome, to this church, and preach to them, but could never get there. 
And so he finally, he finally begins to write them. So I don't know when I'll, I'll, I, when I'll get there, but I just desire to come to you and speak to you and tell you this. And until I get there, here is what I want to say. And so Romans is so detailed and so life-giving. And I pray that as we study it, that it becomes fruit in your life, coming out in growth that you haven't quite yet understood. Are you ready? All right, here we go. So let's read in Romans chapter 1. And uh, we'll start with verse 18. And then I'm going to read part of chapter 2. But here we go. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So this, this actually backs up your story that you are close to God when you're fishing. Jeremy Ramazan, do more fishing, bro. It's like church. It, which... Oddly enough, I wasn't going to call him out, but pastor is fly fishing today. That's why he's not here. Um, and he just decided yesterday. So, And then somebody reminded me, as actually Kevin, that pastor was just bragging about his 12,000 Sunday streak. Well, it's ended. So um, he's fishing today. His, uh, his second favorite son invited him to go, his oldest son. So, But he says, everything can be clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. It's powerful. We believe that it cuts deep into our hearts. I pray today that it would do exactly that, that your spirit would be alive and well in us, and we would see great and mighty things in our lives as we believe you and take you at your word. I pray that nothing would be hidden in our hearts from you, and that you would reveal to us areas in us that need to be changed because of your power, your glory, and your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. God is looking to reveal himself. This is an interesting thing because we, th- we think about, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and he's like this, you know, immortal cosmic power that just is out there doing his thing. And most people, you know, they're, they're even kind of ashamed to talk to God most times if you, if you meet somebody. And even this happens even in the church, like, would you just send up a prayer for me? It's like the big man upstairs talking to the man. I'm just, you know, whenever someplace in your life you get to where you're talking to this immortal cosmic being. As a matter of fact, even people who are atheist, agnostic, whatever, they talk to God and they don't even know it. Right? You know, it's like, it's like when you are late for work and you're like, please let there be no traffic. Please let there be no traffic. Please let there be no traffic. Who are you talking to? God. Okay, so it doesn't matter who you are, what walk of life you choose, or whatever, there is a God and you pray, right? And why this happens is because deep inside of us, there is a desire to connect with the person or thing that created us. 
Okay? And so God creates Adam and Eve, and he actually creates humanity in the garden. He, he goes all the way through creation. He creates beautiful, wonderful things. I mean, if you think about all of the grandness of nature, most of us at some point have been to nature and been like, wow, that is amazing. Some people can do it at places like Watkins Mill. Some people have to go to like these grand places where it's just vast expanses of things, and you're like, Oh my word, this is incredible. Whatever that is, something inside of us sees this great creation and God made all of that. And he made all of that and he goes to this place, he goes, it's all good, but it's, it's missing something. And so he creates humanity. He creates humans, he starts with Adam and um, he realizes that Adam is incomplete and flawed and so he creates the perfection, which is woman, Right? But he has to pull it from man, because he's like, I already started, I don't want to repeat myself, but I just want to, you know, make it right and perfect, right? Amen, women? Amen, men? Okay, not, not on the same page, you missed, a, you missed a chance to shout right there. Oh my goodness. You could have had a great October. Um, just saying. Now you have to wait until Christmas. But he makes humanity, and... He says, let us make them, man and woman, in our image, right? The humanity in his image. And he wants it to express God. And so since that time, there's been this expression in humanity is like God. It is like the person who created them. And so for everywhere they go, they look at stuff and they look at sunsets. They look at mountains. They're always seeing that God, that, that this, this beauty that is happening, and it has to be created by God. God is actually revealing himself even down to our nature, Right? This is something that even atheists can't explain. They just chalk it up to, well, we're just getting better and better and better humans because of natural selection, because all the bad humans are being killed off and all of the good humans keep going. And so we just keep getting more moral and we keep getting more uh, 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 affectionate and compassionate towards taking care of things like the earth and, and animals and all that stuff. It, it, Guess what? That doesn't happen because people die off and you just keep getting better and better. That happens because the goodness of God is in you. Because there's something inside of you that desires to be like God. Because God wants to reveal himself. He's not cruel. He wants to be actively involved with his creation. He's good. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to move in your life. He wants to... to uh, to raise you into the person that he always dreamed you to be. This is what the Bible says. It's an incredible thing. A lot of people will say stuff like this. Well, if God did nothing else but save you, would that be enough? No, it wouldn't be enough. That'd be like saying, uh, if all I did was father Judah and left him as a baby, that that would be enough. Congratulations, you're saved. You're saved from the womb and you're alive. Would that be enough? No. It's my responsibility and my heart to raise him into the man that I know that he is supposed to be. The same is true for you. God wants to raise you into the person that he imagined you to be. He is not absent. He is not hiding from you. He is guiding you every step of the way. The Bible says right here that he is revealing himself from heaven to you. To you. He says, unfortunately, way back in the Adam and Eve days, he decided that it was impossible to be loved by creation without free will. If he just made people to love him and do his bidding and do exactly what he said all the time, what kind of love is that? Right? What kind of love is it to have somebody who just does what you say and never has a chance or a choice 
to respond. And so what he does is he sets up two trees in the garden. He sets up the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he sets them up and he says, this one will give you life, eat from it. You can eat from any tree you want, just don't eat of that one, right? And long, somewhere along the process, Eve gets tempted by the serpent. Amen, ladies? Just, I'm just saying, Paul actually said that word. He said, remember, Eve, you know, did it first. And Adam's standing right there like an idiot again and again and again. And he's like, ah, y'all have some fruit too. They, they make a choice to disobey God. And because of that, they have repercussions that separate them from God. God never left them. As a matter of fact, God removes them from the garden because it's, it represents his holiness. Sin can't exist in God's space. But he tends to them by giving them food, shelter, coverings, all of those things, showing them how to live their lives, interacting with them, speaking to them, coming down and being with them. And above all that, he has also given them, Romans says, he's given them creation to look at to reveal himself. It's incredible how, God, how good God is to us. But within that, he has given us the option of free will. Free will. You have free will. Everywhere you go, you can go to the movie theater and you can choose to watch uh, Aquaman or Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Judah always chooses the wrong one, so I got stuck watching Aquaman. Turns out Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is the better movie. We always have choices wherever we go. Have you ever with someone and made the wrong choice? You make it at the movie theater, you make it at the restaurant. Man, I should have gotten the, right? You date the wrong person. You're like, man, I never should have ever dated that person, right? You might have married the wrong person. Don't look around. If it, <laughs> just look straight ahead. You chose the wrong job. Chose the wrong college. You chose. You, you get back. You're like, why did I choose that? You are given choices. You're given choices, and every one of them has something that's attached to it. And so when God gives you choices, he says, look, I'm revealing myself. You can feel it in your soul. You can feel it in your actions. You can feel it in your surroundings. You can watch it in nature. I am revealing myself, but I give you the option. I give you free will to choose or to not choose. To choose or to not choose. And he says in this passage, he says that human nature... Although they knew God, they neither glorified as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and foolish and their hearts were darkened. Mm. And all of us at some point in our life have probably felt this exact thing. It's actually an option that we have every single moment of every day. We always have two trees. Choose God or choose death. Choose God or choose death. He gives us instructions about, about our, our morality, about our sexuality, about our money, about our, about our character, about who we're going to be as parents, about how we're going to deal with our bosses. All of those things happen, and there are always two trees. It's like, here, here's two. Choose one. I suggest this one, but you can always choose this one. There's always an option of free will. He says here that eventually humans' hearts are so darkened and so evil that they've gone away from God. And he begins to talk about that in the rest of this chapter, but he talks about how we have begun to fulfill our lives by our emotional desires, our burning desires within us. He says, it comes to a point 
where our, our sexuality is, is all over the place. We're just sleeping with whoever we want, whenever we want, however we want. No commitment, no covenant. He's like, we're angry. We're, we're, we're have malice. We're, we're backbiting. We're devouring each other. We're doing all of these things because our hearts are darkened. And he says, the reason why your hearts are darkened is because God gave you over to that part of you. God gave you over to that. Why would God give you over to that? Seems like God that would create you would, would want to just go, you know what, come over here, come back, come back. Hey, you stay right here, like a, like a kid at Disneyland on a leash with her parents, right? I used to think that was stupid, and then I had Avery, and I'm like, I'm getting a leash, okay? <laughs> had some issues with Avery. Turns out, I've never lost Avery. I've only lost Judah. <laughs> no big deal. It was in Los Angeles, about 20 minutes. It's fine. He's home now. <laughs> but why doesn't God just pull us back? Why doesn't God just, you know, just right here? Why would God have to give us over to our fleshly desires? It's because God has set up a system of free will. You see your three parts, your body, soul, and spirit. Even, you know, every blog post is talking about your body, soul, and spirit. And, you know, take care of you and, you know, self-care and all these things. But all of that has some biblical truth. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Because you have body, soul, and spirit. Body is the part of you that desires things. Like in a little bit, um, Don's going to like get up and walk out because he's hungry. Okay, if I preach till 1 o'clock p.m., he's not going to have it. He needs to eat. Okay, because his body tells him, I need something, right? All of this happens. We notice this in babies. Babies need something. Like, ah! And dads are like, what does it need? And mom is like, it just needs to be held. And oh, like, like, you can hear a baby cry in the other room. Moms would be like, oh, it just, it's cold. The baby's cold. You know that from, yeah, that's her cold cry. Like, you, they need things. Their body needs things. And moms just know. It's crazy. Body is a very natural thing. The spirit is the thing deep inside of you. It's actually the place where God dwells. So when actually when you say, uh, Jesus, come into my heart, what you mean is, tiny little Jewish man, please step into my soul. Okay? You mean that, but that's not what happens. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and lives inside. It's the part of you that's empty. It's the part of you that's broken when God is not in your life. It's the part of you that no matter what you put in there, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, success, schooling, intelligence, whatever those things are that you put inside of that emptiness, it never fills it up. It never fills it up because it's made to be filled by the Spirit of God. So when Adam and Eve sin and they die, they are, the Spirit of God is broken inside of them. And that's where they die in their spirit man. So the spirit is very pure. The body is actually very pure. It just, it wants what it wants. Okay? It's actually set up that way we're set up that way with fight, fight, or, fight or flight. We're set up that way with, uh, you know, hunger pangs where your body may feel a certain way or cold. Like, I feel cold. And so then you are smart enough to cover up. It is a way of taking care of you. The part that's fickle is your soul. Okay? Body, soul, spirit. It is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It is the place that is really you. Right? Like, it's the, it's the person you fell in love with. You fell in love with their soul. Well, you might have fell in love with their body and learned to like their soul. But... That's funny. You can laugh at that in church. Okay. Thank you, Mike. All right. It's their soul. It's the part that, you know, when you go to a funeral, they're not there anymore because their soul is gone. Okay. And their soul is easily influenced. The soul is easily influenced. It's influenced by, 
body and it's been influenced by spirit. Okay? If you have no spirit of God inside of you, you're making some very bad decisions. Okay? You have no compass. You have no just direction. And this is what he's talking about. He's like, God gave your soul over to your fleshly desires, your emotional desires that rule and reign your life. And so most of us, has anybody ever made some emotional decisions? Does anybody have like about $10,000 of credit cards that you, credit card debt, we'll say, that you made some emotional decisions? Don't say anything out loud. It's fine. It's not fine, actually. Don't do that anymore. Has anybody wound up in the wrong relationship because of emotional decisions? Wound up in uh, the wrong job? Wound up in bankruptcy? Wound up divorce because of emotional decisions? Emotions are not bad, but emotions influenced by the flesh are bad. You always have an option to choose. And so, like, it's not that the flesh is bad. Like, if you need to eat, Don, I mean, by all means, head out, and we'll catch up to you later. If you need to eat, that's a good thing, if it's in the right context. So what God has been trying to do since Adam and Eve is get people in the right context. Because if you're not in the right context, your emotions will destroy you. You'll walk into situations, you'll make emotional decisions. Like, for instance, if you're looking for a wife, a godly wife, somebody to come home and take care of you and to handle your business and all that stuff, you want somebody to be your partner for life, you don't go to the club at 2 a.m. and go home after drinking eight things of whatever you drink and come home with that person, take it for a ride, never have having any kind of conversation, and then three weeks later going, I don't even like this person. That's not how you find a wife. Sex is a powerful and wonderful thing. It is a beautiful thing. But outside of the context of God's desires for it, it won't work in your life. It won't work. And some people are like, oh, me. right? Not amen, just oh, me. right? Because you know what that's like. You know what that's like. And so emotions misplaced on the wrong thing will not work out. Like, for instance, I... uh, when I was growing up, every time we were together, uh, my brothers would always drink Coke. So Coke was a very uh, good thing in our life. It was like we had red cup parties with just Coca-Cola Classic. They even tried that new Coke for a while. That was trash. They even tried Crystal Pepsi. Remember Crystal Pepsi? Trash, okay? The best thing to drink is Coke. And so I would hang out with my brothers. As a matter of fact, we're from a place in time where, like, everything you drank was a Coke. That's how powerful Coke was. They would say, like, hey, do you want a Coke? And you'd be like, yeah. And they would say, what kind? Right? Because Coke was that powerful. And I, uh, at, from like a teenager, I loved Coke. I loved it. And there was no reason why I had to say no because it was non-intoxicating. It was very, very good. But I found myself almost pre- pre-diabetic because I was drinking more Coke every single day than a person should ever take on in their body. Right? Was it a bad thing? No, but I couldn't say no to my flesh that said I would like to have a Coke. Right? For Allie, it was Dr. Pepper. And once it exploded up in her life and just blew everything to smithereens, she changed her heart and her mind. But it was something that, that outside of God's desire for your life is no good. No good. This is why God always gives two trees. He gives you options. When you are going through life and you are trying to figure out where you're going to go to school, who you're going to date, what you're going to do with your life, 
the purpose and plans, what ministry you're going to be a part of, what church you're going to go to. All of these things are important, and they can be made from the outside, the body, what you experience. Like, you can come to this church and be like, you know what, it's just too loud, and there's too much smoke, even though the Israelites worshiped with smoke, just so you know. Um, as a matter of fact, it was too loud. David worshipped the loudest. As a matter of fact, he worshipped so loud and so exuberantly, his clothes fell off. Please don't do that here. But everything we do here is biblical. Okay? So when I look at what uh, my decisions based on just my emotional response, I can miss God. I can miss God. But there's this thing called congruence. When my emotions come into line with the truth and integrity of who God says that he is, then everything begins to work from the spirit. And my mind, my will, my emotions, my imaginations are all influenced by the spirit. It's when you take a little moment with your emotions and you go, you know what, this is not the thing that I should be doing because the spirit of God, through the word of God, says that this is not the way to do it. Every time you, you get ready to tie, Ali talks about this, you get ready to give your money to God. How many people are just like, you know, I could do something else with this money? Just me and Caleb. Oh, Caleb's holier than I am. Okay, I work here. I've been a tither since I was like, you know, nine. And still, I wake up and, and you know, go to my, my paycheck and I'm like, I'm going to tithe today. And something inside of me goes, don't do that. Right? It's the flesh. Like there's some Jordans right now. There's some OG, black and crimson, high top. Like they're on sale. You can get those junk, and it's only a hunt. They're on sale for $110. They used to be $200. Everybody will think you paid $300 for them, but you only paid $100, Brandon. Look how dope you would be on stage with those shoes. And I know where you can get the money. It's right here in your tithe. Don't act like you don't do that too. God is moving in our lives and giving us options, but we always have the option to feed the flesh. Here's the problem with the flesh. The flesh never gets enough. That's why you're hungry again at noon, and you're hungry again at dinner. That's why I couldn't stop with just one Coke. I had to have nine Cokes a day. It's why that when, when you're in a relationship, you can't say no to the person about having sex until you're married, because you're like, you know what? It just, it's, it's fine. It's like, everybody's doing it. It's the way of the world. And as a matter of fact, we should probably just all move in together. It would make it way easier in our budgets, flesh, 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 instead of doing things God ways, because your emotions have to be in congruence with what God has for you. And then you go like, I don't have any joy. Is that joy an emotion? Yeah. Does God want you to have it? Yes. How does he say habit? Follow his word. Peace. Is it an emotion? Yeah, it's a beat. But most people, they're really happy on Friday, but they have no peace. They hate Monday. They hate Wednesday. They even hate Friday up until the time that they're just so drunk that they forgot what happened during the week. And they're like, I have no peace. Well, you don't have the right emotions because you aren't in congruence with the integrity of God's word. Okay? So what is happening, and you go, that's fine. You can clap a little bit. It's fine. Pat a cake. What is happening in our lives is like, why does God let that happen? If he's all powerful, he can do all things, he created all things. Why is it such a big deal? The, the deal is that he has given you free will. 
And there comes a point when you just choose the same thing over and over and over and over again, and he's still knocking on the door of your heart. He's revealing to you everything in his, in his creation, going, I am so amazing. I'm awesome. I'm wonderful. I'm big. I have a plan for your life. I want to do great and mighty things with you. And you're like, you know what? I just, I just feel like I have to do this. I'm going to choose this. And God's like, that's not the way. And eventually he just goes, you know what? Go ahead. And because of our emotional instability and desiring after the flesh, what happens is we begin to live in darkness. Far from God. And the longer we're out there, the more it seems like normal. Did you know that when Jesus came, he was the, the Bible says that he's the light of the world, the light of heaven. There is no darkness in him. There's no shadow of turning. This is what happened. And it says, John says that in him was the light of life. And he's walking on the earth. And all of these great things are happening, but there's still people who's like, I don't believe it. I don't see it. Why? Because their hearts have been darkened. It's what happens to all of us on a regular basis. But the Bible says that God has more than just his wrath. He says the wrath of God is being re revealed because what he's doing is stepping away. It's not that he's, he wants to, to kill you with lightning from heaven. It's that his wrath is, I can't be a part of that. And that's the most, most wrath you can get. When God withdraws from you and is not in your situation, what's more wrathful than that? It's like the dad that never comes around. He's never a part of the kid's life. It's like, what? why did he leave? That's the most torment you can ever give any child. Not, I'm going to kill you. The wrath is leaving and withdrawing the presence of God. And when you get to heaven or hell, what's going to happen is, in heaven you're going to have the eternal presence of God, and in hell you're going to have none of it. And here, if you're in darkness, you can still come to this place and the presence of God shows up. You can be next to another believer and be like, something about that person. I just love to be around that person. I am so joyful. I am so peaceful when I'm around that person because the presence of God is operating in your life. Even when God withdraws from you and leaves you to your own darkened desires, the presence of God is still near. I can't imagine what it's like when that presence is gone. I cannot imagine it. But many of you are facing circumstances in your life, and sometimes they're big areas, sometimes they're little areas, where you have chosen your way again and again and again and again, and it is causing you death. You are living in the darkness. And so what he says, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts. That's the mind, the will, and the emotions to sexual impurity for the degradation of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So now, just to make us feel good, to live in happiness, we'll just say, whatever makes you happy, I just want you to be happy. And we send people on journeys to find happiness that they can never find because they're incomplete, they're incongruent with their emotions. This is what's happening. And it's no wonder that Paul does this in Romans because the beginning of it, we have to realize that all of us, every one of us, is in this place. Romans is a place where we say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's so easy to look at our lives and go, you know what, it's not me. We look at this list. This list right here, most of you like, well, I'm not doing any of those things. Well, uh, well no mercy. 
Some people don't have mercy in the name of patriotism. Some people don't have mercy just in the, in, in the name of, well, I need to do what's right. It's called bitterness. Some people are bitter and show no mercy. There's things in here, no love, no fidelity. They, don't, they, they disobey. They do evil everywhere they go. These are the things that are coming out of your darkness. And if you don't realize that it is happening to you and it is an option for you everywhere you go, you'll be wrapped up in it before you know. You'll be talking to the wrong person and you'll be clear over here one day like, I don't, have, I don't know, I just lay awake at night staring at the ceiling wondering about how any of this is ever going to turn out good. You're without hope, you're without life because you are living in darkness one decision at a time. You are like a ship tossed about on the ocean with no true north. And God desires in your life to have a true north. As a matter of fact, that he wants to be your true north. He wants to put you in his vessel. He wants to make it perfect. And all you have to do is just follow him one step at a time, one decision at a time, one tree at a time. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just cannot continue to live making dark choices and live in the light. It won't happen for you. So this is what happens next in Romans 2. It says, therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at what point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. In other words, we're all in the same boat. We're all in this together. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking, who are self-seeking, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. God does not show favoritism. So he gives this thing, he's like, look, God has been revealing himself. He desires to reveal himself. As a matter of fact, God wants to save you and do great things in your life. But at a certain point, God's just like, I withdraw. I withdraw. Okay? And all of the good Christian people are like, amen. Amen. You better get right or get left, bro. Like whatever, they don't say, those people that say that, don't say bro. They, better get left or get right, get right or get left, brother. All right, that's usually a brother. Um, anybody still say brother? When I first came to church, we still said brother. And, and you're either your first name or your last name, depending on how far south you were. Okay, oh, brother Kevin. Oh, brother, brother. Hey, how you doing, brother? Um, and most of those people didn't want to be together at all or spend time with each other, but it was holy to call each other brother. So what happens is we get in the brother club, the sister club. And then we just like blame everybody else. 
Well, you know, America's going to hell in a handbasket. That's what my dad would say. That's a real brother term, too. Oh, you know, Brother Block, America's going to hell in a handbasket. Aren't you glad we don't do that like them? Aren't you glad that, you know, those people don't come to our church? Right? We just do this again and again and again. And, and what he's saying here in chapter 2 is like, hey, I just want to let you know <laughs> that, uh, therefore, don't judge. After he just gets done, like, painting the picture of the most evil people. Don't judge. Because when you judge, what you're doing is you're taking something upon you that you don't want to handle. Because in order to judge, you have to be completely righteous. Now, this happens a lot in our life. You're like, you don't judge me. Like a friend, uh, you know, one time I just kind of looked at him funny when he told me to already joke. He's like, don't judge, don't you judge me. It's like, no, I'm not judging you, man. I'm like, you, you got to go to hell and I'm better than you. It's like, I just don't want to be a part of that. Right? And sometimes we get wrapped up in this don't judge, don't judge, and then so we just accept everything. As a matter of fact, what Paul says is don't even be a part of those things because being a part of them makes you a joint with them. He says, you know, withdraw from them that want to live in continual darkness because you don't want to be there, trust me. Don't judge them. And here's why. When you judge, you're judging from a futile place, a very small place, actually. Your brain is about that big. The human head weighs eight pounds. I learned that from a movie. Am I getting old yet? Uh, the brain is very small. And so you, you start to feel kind of self-righteous and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm in choosing the right tree. Everybody else has been choosing the wrong tree. It's too bad they're out there in the darkness. It's too bad they're living out there, you know, if they wouldn't have made those choices. Everybody's given a choice, you know, and sometimes you got to pay for it. Not me. I'm living in righteousness. Judgment. He says, don't do that, because here's why. Because God is big. You're not. You're never going to judge right, even though you may have some wisdom and you may know some truth, you don't see what God sees. In Hebrews, he says this, I can divide between soul and spirit. That's pretty deep. He can divide the bone from the marrow, so to speak. That's way before we had bone marrow transplants. He can get way, 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 way deep, and he can divide. Okay? And here's, here's the beauty in that. It's like, you get a lot of grace. Don't you, Jesse? I get a lot of grace. Isn't it funny how we give ourselves a lot of grace? You know what I mean? Especially when we're judging. You're in darkness. Thank God I'm over here in righteousness. And then something in the back of your mind goes, hey, what about, what about Tuesday? Well, you know, I'm the favorite child, which I am. You know, well, well God knows my heart. God doesn't know their heart? No, obviously, I know their heart because they're bad. Terrible people. God's like, no, remember back when I created and I made you in my image? You think 
that you may know righteousness, but you're still not quite there. And then he starts to lay things out. Jesus did this exact thing. He's like, you know, like, you think that you haven't committed adultery, but if you just look at somebody with the wrong idea in your heart, you've already, killed, you have already committed adultery. It's like, you know, you haven't killed anybody, but if, if you just look at somebody, like, on the road, and they didn't use their blinker, or they're in the left-hand lane too long, because that's, uh, that's the most, you know, angering thing. It's like, I should be able to go 100 on this road. But you're in the way. You're angry because you didn't leave for work on time. But he says, look, that's, that's, you've not like killing them. You have killed them already. And he begins to set that up that like my righteousness is so much bigger than yours. So when you think you're doing good, you're not doing all that good. And what he's going to unfold in 11 chapters is that you have to trust God continually. The righteous will live by faith. Don't try to live by your righteousness. Don't try to live by your goodness. You're going to need to live by faith. Yes, make the right choices. Don't, Don't be off there in darkness because you know what it was like. Trust me. There was a time when you didn't know Jesus. Don't forget those moments. He says, judge. Now, here's what he says. He says, it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Mm. A lot of churches don't believe this. They say it. They even read it out of the Bible, but then they go, I heard one preacher go like this. It's not always the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Sometimes it's his wrath. When God himself said it was was the kindness of God. As a matter of fact, when he says, when I drop my wrath, people usually don't turn. It's too late at that point. He says, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Now, most of you know that I had a great dad. My dad was phenomenal. Five kids, and he raised each of us different. He raised me the best. Good. I had the belt enough times. I was grounded once. Johnny and Allie were never grounded. Allie might have been grounded. Allie got the belt a lot more. She also got grounded. So, but also she was the first girl, and my dad was like, you know, because she didn't act like us, that she had a little more sass. He was really quick to just take her down like every chance he had. So he would talk about the way she waddled off the back to the back room when she was upset. He called it something he has something. He's like her hips, you know, like when she was like, he's like, come back here. Only he did it like a smile. He'd be like, come back. So she'd come back. She'd be like, what? He'd be like, try again. <laughs> and she'd walk back. <laughs> come back. He called her little, her little walk. My dad had this way that he would, uh, he said, if, if something's going wrong in my kid's life, I never blame them. I always blame me. I always go to a place and go, what am I doing that my kid can act like this? And it wasn't like he said, I need to be harder on them or, you know, I got to tighten down the reins, even though he did tighten down the reins a few times. Well, maybe more than a few times. (laughs) What's wrong with me? He never called us into his office 
to discipline us. His office was a place of meeting with him, sharing with him, and talking with him. If he had to discipline you about something, he would take you and he would buy you a milkshake. <laughs> True story. Like, hey, what's up? Oh, I just want to talk to you about your decisions this week. I, don't, I suddenly don't feel like eating this milkshake. <laughs> He'd do stupid stuff like take you out golfing, whole day of golfing, and then talk to you about the things in your life that needed to change. He's fishing today with his number one son, he would say. And number one just means first in line. That's it. It's Dave. And at a drop of a hat, he would drop everything to go be with him and not with us, meaning you guys, me. He would choose me over Dave every time. But today he's with Dave, not us. Why? To be a part of his life at the place where he meets. Now, I could sit here and go, you know what? I'm the favorite son. I'm the best one. I'm up here preaching. He's missing my sermon. He said he would never miss any of our games. And here's my big game day. And he's not listening to me preach. Matter of fact, let me tell you something about Dave. And I could go on and on about how Dave's not worthy of my dad's time, attention, or love. But my dad ministers to every child. He fathers every child based on his relationship with them. God is the same way. You don't get to interpret how the father deals with his children. God is so sovereign that if he leaves you to your darkness and your choices, the Bible says that he's still wooing you. He's still reaching out to you. He still desires for you to be saved. And he's doing everything he can from cosmic power to pull you back in. But he won't neglect your free will. So when me, a mere mortal, goes, you know what? I think that person's doing it wrong. Actually, what God is saying is, no, no, no. I'm working on this one. Shut your mouth. No, no, no. I'm the one who's going to see this through. It's my kindness that leads them to repentance. And if you get in there, you're going to blow the whole thing. You're going to judge them? Let's talk about you, son. And he starts walking down the list of things going, this is what you need to be working on. Why are you worried about him? You got some things, some trees and choices that I've been dealing with you on. As a matter of fact, there's some places, some darkness in your heart where you've shut me out. I've let you shut me out, but I keep tapping. I keep coming for you. I keep dealing with you. And this is what God does because it's his kindness that leads you to repentance and he gives you eternal life. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. He talks about his wrath there, but this is what John 3 says. The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. He's talking about Jesus. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything 
in whose hands? Jesus' hands. He says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. There's two types of people. There's ones that have God's wrath on them, and there's ones that believe in Jesus. Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. God's wrath doesn't stay on you. In other words, that Jesus lifts God's wrath. And so what our job to do is to follow after God wholeheartedly and make sure that we're choosing the right tree on a regular basis. Because our emotions, if they're not in the right line with God, they will lead us astray. We'll be left in dark places, dying, and maybe even find ourselves eventually in God's wrath if we don't follow after him, believing, trusting him. He says, when you get in there and you are judging others everywhere you go, forgetting where you come from and how I'm dealing with you, and even forgetting how powerful and big I am and that I'm the one who deals with them, I've got a plan for them just like I've got a plan for you. I've been moving in their hearts just like I've been moving in your heart. I've been drawing them, wooing them just like I've been doing to you. Don't count them out. Count them in. Don't push them away. Embrace them and what God is doing in their lives. Go wholeheartedly for what God wants to accomplish in every person's life because that's his plan. That everyone would come to repentance. Just like me, just like you. Be ashamed to stand there and be like, well, God's wrath's not on me. God's wrath is on you. And do nothing about it. Jude says, you should run around snatching people from the fire. Don't forget, I'm the one who saves completely. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here today and you've never really processed this. You thought you were had to be good. And you've been trying to be good and you failed miserably. You've tried following your heart. You've tried obeying your emotions. Everything has just come up dry. The Bible begins to talk about Jesus it's right there. If you believe in Jesus, God's wrath does not remain on you. As a matter of fact, he gives you life. That's what we're here for today so that you can know that well. You can know it for real. So will you today respond? I I don't know if you're old Christian, new Christian, whatever it is. Maybe you've just forgotten this truth. That Jesus lifts the wrath of God and brings you into the family. Jesus wants you. I'm going to pray one prayer. I'll lead you in a prayer, and then I'm going to pray for everybody else in just a minute. But if you want to respond to Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus, to believe in him with your whole heart, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer. 
Just this. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow after you. If you're here today and you want to just become a Jesus follower, you want to be sure that the wrath of God's not on you, but you are living in life, starting a new journey. Would you just say this prayer with me? Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow after you. Let's just all pray together. Come on. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow after you. Next part is like this. There's this idea, it's called depravity. It means that you have nothing. The idea is that God is the one who created you. Without his life in you, your life will never be full. As a matter of fact, you're, you're using yourself for the wrong purpose if you don't have Christ in your life. So today, we're all struggling with a, a place of depravity. That we're emotionally invested in things that are not meant for us. We're living in, in life, sometimes relationships, sometimes jobs, all these different places where we are far below what God wants for us. Life and life more abundantly. Today, if you're here and you say, Brandon, just pray for me. I got some places that I need to, I need God to come into. I need, I need life and life more abundantly. I don't want to be in the darkness in these areas. I feel like God's dealing with me. Just pray for me, Brandon. You lift your hand where you are. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Awesome. You're amazing. God is doing great things in your life. I know it. I feel it. Father, I thank you for the power of God that's alive and well in this room, that's moving in people's lives. I thank you for all these trees that you've given us all of our life to choose good or to choose our own way. I pray right now that the places in our life where we have been struggling to make the right connections, that you give us clarity, you give us peace and joy because we're lining our emotions up with the Spirit of God and no longer our flesh. Do impossible things in our lives. The only you can do, taking us from depravity to fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God a big praise today?